1: hey there and welcome back to the ninja turtle power hour i'm spencer toon and i'm keith mcguffey And Mike's not going to be here with us this week. He has some own stuff he's got to take care of, but he will be back. This isn't going to be a permanent thing. He hasn't been kicked
0: off the island or anything. He's still with us. Just a little busy tonight. Just in spirit.
1: (laughs) As the last Ronin's brothers are. All right. So this week, we're going to be covering the Savanti Romero arc. The Savanti Romero saga. I don't know what you want to call it but uh, it's going to be issues number eight of the original series and issue number seven of the Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series.
0: Yeah, and for those of you following along at home, you might think it's weird that we're starting with the last issue of Tales of the Ninja Turtles. Um, when Spencer pitched this idea of a, of a podcast to myself and Mike, he sent us a, like a list of a reading order for the comics, and I kind of went in there and monkeyed around and was like, You know, if we move some things around, we might be able to get some coherent storylines. So that's why we did Donatello number one and Team NT number nine last time, because those were two that just kind of didn't fit anywhere. Then we have this, which is kind of Savanti Romero's story. Then I think we're going to do Tales of the Turtles that occur in New York, then kind of the turtles getting kicked out of New York, then the Tales of the Turtles that occur in Northampton. So that Mm -hmm. way it kind of makes a little bit of sense in the timeline of the Turtles, even though they're not published in that order.
1: Yeah. And so we kind of played around and kind of made our own canon reading order. It's the Ninja Turtle Power Hour canon (laughs) (laughs) of the Mirage Volume 1 comic books. So yeah, Not, not everything that, like we have more than what Peter Laird declared canon in there, but I also took out some of the things that didn't feel like they fit in. We'll cover them again. We'll go back and cover them later. Uh, but for now, we have kind of our own fun reading order, and you can follow along with us. Like I said, we we usually announce what we're going to be reading next week or watching the next week in our current episode. So if you want to follow along with us and read it in the same order we are, please do enjoy. And one of the things I like about the Mirage
0: Turtles is really to their benefit, like there's all these stories published, but you can kind of fit anything just about anywhere in their timeline. Like it's it's pretty loose, it's pretty open. Uh, a a one-time story can fit here or there you know and it's not like game of thrones where you have to know every single thing about every single thing it's kind of open and fun Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and ninja turtles especially these original comics and and probably almost its legacy as as a franchise is it's kind of more about the breadth of stories that are told with these characters more so than the depth Hmm. good point yeah they're able to go on all sorts of crazy adventures, and it's simply because they're Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's <laughs> what can't happen in a world where these guys exist,
0: right? All right, so um, I'm going to be doing Tales Volume One, Number Seven. So, Spencer, why don't you go ahead tell us a story about uh,
1: TMNT Number Eight? All right, I'll break into the story. The ancient one did tell me a story. I think you guys would want to hear about Master Splinter's master, Hamato Yoshi. Well, let's hear it. So this story is written by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and Dave Sim. It's going to have the first appearance of Lord Simultaneous, Renette, and Savanti Romero. So our story begins with Renette. She is a bored teenage apprentice timestress, and she decides that she is going to steal the time scepter that will allow her to travel in time. So she goes and steals it, and as she does, her master, uh, you know, finds her and tries to stop her, but she gets a hold of it before he can stop her and flees to New York to the time of the Teenage Mutant Turtles and lands right on top of them. Lord Simultaneous is close behind, and just after Renette can explain who she is to the turtles, he is there yelling at her, telling her to stop. She claims to the turtles that he is going to kill her. And so the turtles go to her defense and she transports them to a different time, which happens to be Cerebus's time, where they then land on top of him while he is trying to survey a fortress to steal some scrolls from it for a wizard that seems to have like cursed him or something. Uh, I imagine it's probably explained in like a previous issue. You know,
0: uh, We might be jumping forward, but I really think this issue could have benefited from explaining just what is going on with Cerebus in this issue. He turns into a blob at several points, and apparently it's the wizard's curse, but I don't know anything about the wizard.
1: It just seems like the wizard is making him steal some scrolls, and if he doesn't, then he's going to keep turning into a blob.
0: Yeah, and see, I think, I I did some reading on Cerebus. I think issue 8 of Ninja Turtles came out at the same time as issue 88, of Cerebus Uh uh-huh by that time like Cerebus started as a as a parody of Conan the Barbarian yeah by that point it had really moved away from that so I I don't know if this Mm -hmm. is supposed to be like earlier in this timeline if it if it actually links to a story or if there's kind of playing around with it and thought this would be fun but it's kind of confusing what's going on with Cerebus in this issue
1: yeah I I was thinking it was probably going to link to the the timeline but you're right in the back commentary it does say that you know, he'd moved beyond the uh, "Code of the Barbarian" parody at this moment and was telling other stories. So, I'm it's just also, shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> so, I have uh, uh, Kevin Eastman's
0: autobiography, right? Uh-huh. He goes, he published some layouts he did for this issue, and he laid out Cerebus and that. And there was like one page. Uh, it's the one where like Cerebus is thinking to himself, and there's like two of him thinking to himself. Then he turns into a blob, and the turtles are ready to go. Mm-hmm. And on that page in Kevin Eastman's book, like none of that happens. It's just like Cerebus sitting and thinking for a while. He never turns into a blob. Um, he, he's clearly saying more in those panels that Kevin Eastman did than uh, the ones that Dave Sim did. So I kind of think Dave Sim and I think his, his buddy is Gerhardt or Gerhart. I, sure. I don't know enough about him. Yeah, I those two worked on the Cerebus panels, So I think they kind of came in afterwards and, and did a little editing of their own.
1: Mm hmm. That's probably where that came from. So he's looking to try and get these scrolls from this fortress from this wizard. So at this exact same time inside the for inside this fortress, we're introduced to Savanti Romero who learns through some sort of magic that the staff is here inside this at, in the same time that he's in. And so of course he now wants it. So he comes out of his fortress and ambushes our heroes and steals the scepter. The turtles need the scepter back. Cerebus needs the scrolls. They all need to get in the fortress. So they team up, they go back to town to find some mercenaries to try and assault, do an assault on the fortress. Cerebus ends up lying to all these mercenaries in this bar and tells them that Renette is a witch that will make them invulnerable for this battle. And they'll be able to just go in and conquer very easily. So the army goes and attacks the fortress, and while they're attacking, our protagonists are sneaking into the fortress to get in and uh, get what they need, get what they came for. While they're doing that, Savanti raises an army of the dead that pretty much wipes out the mercenaries. The grumpy Ardvark and his teenage allies make their way to him, but soon learn that they are no match for the new power that Savanti Romero wields. So now that they are, you know, now that hope seems all but lost as Savanti Romero has them in his clutches using the power of the staff, Lord Simultaneous pops in. And he easily defeats Savanti Romero using his more advanced time technology, letting Savanti know that what that staff he's got is, is pretty much an antique relic at this point because he's got his courts, time courts watch. Yeah, yeah so... The one that Renette stole and that
0: Cervanti uses is a is a sand hourglass, but Lord Simultaneous
1: has like a digital watch. Yeah. It's a more advanced version. (laughs) So Cervanti is now banished to the Cretaceous period by Lord Simultaneous without the staff. The turtles are returned to New York. Cerebus is given the scrolls he needs, and Renette is brought back to HQ and is punished. And she has to dust all the books in looks like the library for quite some time and that ends the story all right tales of the tmnt volume
0: one number seven uh let me tell you a story so the turtles are visiting a natural history museum when suddenly some dinosaur bones rearrange to form the head of savanti romero savanti challenges them to come fight him at the ring of fire Back at April's apartment, the turtles are debating what to do when suddenly Renette appears. She explains that Lord Simultaneous thinks that defeating Savanti Romero will be a fitting final exam for her time-stress apprenticeship. She and the turtles head back to the time of dinosaurs. After arriving in the Cretaceous, the turtles are ambushed by Savanti Romero. He captures Renette and the time scepter and heads off atop a pterodactyl. The turtles follow on foot and eventually come to a giant bone structure over a river. It's, it, it's kind of hard to describe what the bone structure is. It's basically like two arches that intersect. Where they intersect, there's like a circle in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, at the apex, kind of above that circle, uh, the time scepter is, is in a little hook kind of thing coming off of it, with Renette chained inside of that, that circle. Uh, the turtles climb to the top of the structure and confront Savanti. Savanti explains that a bolt of cosmic energy is about to strike where the time scepter is, And that combined with, uh, that bolt of energy combined with the Time Scepter and Renette's energies will cause an explosion strong enough to ignite the Ring of Fire. Slowing Earth's speed enough that the planet will not be hit by an asteroid and and the Ninja Turtles will cease to exist in the future. Turtles fight Savanti as Leo saves Renette. Uh, Then Leo climbs up to the Time Scepter with Savanti following close behind. Leo is able to leap out of the way as a bolt of lightning hits the Time Scepter and Savanti. Both plummet into the river below, and the bone structure collapses. We flash forward three months later, and the turtles and Renette are still stuck living back in the Cretaceous period. Uh, They catch a fish, and when they go to gut it and open it up, it turns out that the fish has swallowed the Time Scepter. Uh, The guys are ready to head back to New York, but not before eating their their fish dinner. The end.
1: All right. Let's go back over these stories and talk about them a little bit in the second time around. Hey, uh, nice junk. So I don't know if you noticed in page 21, uh, the tavern that uh, Cerebus and and crew go into has a sign outside that says it is Chet's Tavern. Chet's Tavern, yeah. Another Chet. Now, did you see it's also on the dumpster they fall
0: into when they get back to New York? It's I'm, very oh, hard to make one. out, but it does. It
1: does look like Chet if you squint and get real close to it. <laughs> oh man, I'll have to look get, like go back over that and look at that. It's just fun hunting down the Chets. It's yeah. like one of my favorite Ninja Turtle Easter eggs. <laughs> I love uh, the the
0: wraparound cover to this issue, but <laughs> something that gets me is that Michelangelo's nunchucks are blue. I don't know if you noticed that it's on the back back cover. His yeah, I don't get a back cover in the Ultimate Collection. Oh, you see his nunchucks, they're blue.
1: Oh yeah, what's like up with a that? Very
0: bright blue, and they're like weirdly, in a lot of early Mirage stuff. They're weirdly colored blue consistently. Like in the first comics reprints, they're blue, and this they're blue, and in some of like AC Farley's covers, they're blue. I don't know, like what, where did he get blue paint? And and if all their colors are like red and browns, why does he have blue? I, it
1: toilet chucks, man.
0: <laughs> toilet <laughs> chucks, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> or or my new theory splinter got them from the battle nexus that's my new I love, theory
0: i love that theory it it makes just enough sense because right? the
1: battle nexus is introduced in volume four of the mirage turtles so mm-hmm. it's possible that splinter could have gotten them a long time ago from there yeah it's my newest theory um let's see
0: in the back of this issue uh we also get some new books they're promoting so we have turtle soup gobbledygook and grunts those are all anthologies that are going to be published by Mirage. Uh, turtle Soup is specifically turtle stuff. Gobbledygook is like older Mirage stuff and a couple turtle stories. And then Grunts is new stuff about soldiers, including some tri- Triceraton stories. Yeah. Isn't it like all anthropomorphic soldiers is what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah there's um, I think a... There's like a like a panda samurai and some kind of dog that looks like a World War II pilot. I, I've never read Grunts read the other two but never.
1: yeah one, so. the the triceratons issue from it is in uh volume six of the ultimate collection and that one's actually pretty good i was pretty impressed with it is it I might, have to, hmm, you, I might have to
0: pick that up they're also working on a, a crossover with the flimmy carrot i don't know if you've ever read the flaming carrot or not
1: i have not i've been looking into reading it uh but i haven't at least their crossover with him but i've never read any of them yeah i really haven't either um, but yeah I've heard it's bizarre um, we also
0: start publishing their. I have heard that too I, I've also heard the movie Misman is based off of Flaming Carrot I don't know if you've ever seen that but it's a fantastic movie
1: Mm-mm. y'all have to see that one I so something interesting I guess about this this comic is that it's not found in a lot of reprints we've talked about this before uh, and Keith actually shared A link to like an article on TMNT Entity on a website about a possible like beef or tiff between Dave Sim and Peter Laird. To me, it seems like they just kind of got distant and Peter Laird didn't know if he was allowed to use the rights of the character anymore. But then Dave Sim essentially said in a letter that uh, Peter had joined the people that did not like him because acute, you know, they were accusing him of being a misogynist and stuff because He did have some in later issues of Cerebus, some uh, anti-woman essays in them and stuff like that.
0: Uh, Yeah, he he got
1: he got really weird uh, after uh, some time. Well,
0: even like I've only read like four or five issues of Cerebus, and knowing that, and then reading those, I'm like, how do we not know? Like, there's a lot of stuff about like uh, derogatory remarks about the women in those comics and stuff. So I. I've always wanted to read *Cerebus*, but now I'm a little iffy on whether I'm going to like it or not. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've I've heard that like the books *Church and State* are good, uh, and then after that, it just kind of goes downhill. There's yeah. kind of a lot of uh, misogynistic, as well as I think even some like homophobic uh, type things later on yeah. as it as it goes. Uh, no, like I... straight up, like almost essays in it. So it, it's an interesting book for what he did. He did a lot of interesting stuff with it. But uh, as far as like the art goes, uh, as far as the content, it uh, gets pretty, uh, the actual content of, of that art it's, and the themes, I guess, of it are, are kind of uh, questionable, to say yeah. the least. Um, I was able to track down an interview
0: that Kevin Eastman did with the Comics Journal back in like 1998. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talked about the reprints of issue eight. And Kevin Eastman kind of said, like, he didn't really know why David Sim wouldn't let them reprint it. He just thought, like, Dave Sim thought that uh, audiences were just getting bored with it or something. Mm-hmm. But he didn't think it was anything that Kevin and, and Peter had done specifically. Um, just that Dave Sim didn't want it to be done anymore, which is kind of weird because, like, Ninja Turtles was selling way more than Cerebus mm-hmm. ever did. So it would have been. To his benefit. Um, I also found another blog, I think it was called like Modern Cerebus or A Moment with Cerebus or something like that, where Dave Sim talked about his, his deal with IDW is that they'll pay him 500 bucks every time they reprint issue number eight. I don't know how legit that is. Um, I, I couldn't really tell if it was actually Dave Sim or someone just saying that. So that might be the case. Maybe Dave Sim got a small check from IDW for reprints, but who knows? Yeah,
1: I mean, that would make sense on why they only did it for like the ultimate collection, maybe the works. And then beyond that, I don't think you really see it in anything anymore. I don't think it's part of color classics, not black no. and white classics. So yeah, because there's this weird thing with rights, even back in the the day, and I don't know if Peter knew if he could use the character, he was going to like make it not canon. And uh, have a Tales, the TMNT issue that was supposed to fill in this gap. And then it just kind of never happened. And that issue is only published in Spanish. So if we, I'm fluent in Spanish. So if we can find a copy, I can read it, maybe translate it for you guys. Uh,
0: Yeah, I think I read it was like published in Spanish, then translated into Russian and then translated again into English by some Russian guy. So I don't know, like if it exists out there in English in a digital form that we can look at it or what, but it's supposed to replace issue eight and kind of give a backstory on Silvante Romero at the same
1: time. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, it never happened. And even the 2003 series more or less uses this story, just with this exact same story, just without Cerebus. So I, you know, I'm shrugging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like it never happened this book is canon. It's part of the thing. Uh, it, Cause like D- Dave Sim wrote back saying something to the extent of, Peter Laird had the rights he could he could use it yeah yeah I, I
0: I watched the 2003 adaptation of this book in preparation for this and it's surprising how well it works without Cerebus. Like, yeah they take them out I there is an artvark in that in that episode that kind yeah. of walks across the screen which is kind <laughs> of a cool callback but yeah I mean they take that out they take out the idea that uh, they recruited the, an army with Renette, as some witch that gave him invulnerability, and it works just just
1: as well, if not better, than this uh, comic book. Yeah, it's definitely another one of those moves that was made to make the turtles a bit more uh, like heroes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like removing murder, or uh, trying to think of another great example of this using uh, Zog uh, that happens later when they just kind of use Zog as. A meat shield, almost.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Man, he just like runs into that room, gets cut down immediately, and then they're like, "All right, let's uh, keep fighting." I
1: guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of questionable, and they actually have a little bit of that in the two thousand three series, but the way they wrote it feels a little bit different in, in that in that series. Uh, that's all I really have to talk about with number eight. If you have anything else,
0: I do. Um, so they they start republishing some some fan mail in the back of issue eight they haven't done that for a couple issues but i want want to read you this line that comes from a fan and just see if it sounds familiar to you all right so the quote is the turtles are best in the city fighting thugs killers muggers in the alleys rooftops streets and sewers this space stuff sucks (laughs) does that sound like the same argument that happens on reddit every day oh yeah (laughs) yeah
1: definitely back in
0: 86 it was happening
1: <laughs> see and i i enjoy these stories like i said to me it's like more about the breadth of stories yeah. that can be told but i can remember i, I know that i was talking to someone that that grew up during turtle mania that part of the reason why they hated the, the uh, number three of the of the ninja turtle movies is they called it like a stupid time travel movie you know because it was mm-hmm. no longer fighting in the streets but I'd like when I watched the movie I didn't have a problem with it like I was like oh yeah time travel this is normal for turtles right yeah even the time scepters
0: in that movie like they're, uh-huh. they're going off the base material yeah I I you know I don't know why I would want to watch a bunch of mutant turtles beat up a bunch of regular guys on a daily basis like you gotta mm-hmm. mix it up a little bit if I wanted that I would just read the Punisher or something you know yeah um, so
1: I'm totally cool with it
0: but that is funny that that's in there <laughs> Same. I know, yeah. It's it's in there and it's still going on today. It, yeah. Now, um, did you notice also that on Savanti's altar, where he's reading the, the manual for the Time Scepter, Batman is on the front of the altar. Is he really? I don't know if you caught it. Like His face is on it. It's really strange that it's there, but it, <laughs> but it is there. And then Conan the Barbarian is part of the army that uh, uh, Cerebus recruits to be invulnerable from Renette. It's,
1: it's very clearly Conan the Barbarian. So, cool. so now we know that his, how his uh, demise came about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a cackling
0: skeleton army that got him. And that's, I think that's all I got to talk about this. I mean, I could, I could go on about Dave Sim and Cerebus. I think I've studied more about Cerebus this week than I ever studied for any test in high school. <laughs> <laughs> you studied a, you studied a Cerebus for tests in high school? No, no, I studied it for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I went down a freaking hole, man. I've been I've been reading a bunch of stuff.
1: Yeah, for information on Cerebus to anyone who's listening, I would recommend Comic Tropes on YouTube. He has an episode where he talks about Dave Sim and, and Cerebus. Yes, uh, I did watch that. It was fantastic. It was yeah. very informational. Yeah, he does an amazing job of presenting information about comics in general. Like if you want to Listen to someone talk about comics and like kind of understand them and get to know them better. Go look up comic tropes. Great channel. He's also got a like hour and a half long
0: video that I put on in the background today of him just showing off his Donatello toys. Really, he collects. He does. He apparently doesn't collect all the Ninja Turtles. He just collects Donatello, and he thinks he has the biggest collection of Donatello memorab- memorab- memorabilia in the world. So. <laughs> It was just like him being like, here's this mega blocks and here's this this thing. And yeah, it was really cool.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna fight him on <laughs> I don't have the biggest Donatello collection. <laughs> um, sorry, I do have one last thing for you. There's a pinup in the
0: very back of this book, uh, and it's by Chet Peace. So there's a third Chet <laughs> for you.
1: Let me let me oh, hold Chet. up the
0: screen here so you can see it real quick. It's basically just all text, right? There's a little yeah. bird in the corner. So Apparently the guys knew that people were trying to rip off Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Because it was like Kung Fu, Kangaroos, and like all these other funny animal books that came out around the same time. So they kind of mocked those guys right back. And this is an ad from Bandwagon Productions. Uh, This is a $950 first printing of this issue of those new wave, whacked out, kind of nutty, loony, subterranean, extraterrestrial, Pseudoscientific, gargantuan, egocentric, bigger than life, mutant commando, teenage home wrecking, heartbreaking, gut wrenching, completely with psychotic, punk rocking killer kiwis. There you go. And a kiwi is why the little bird was there. So
1: So that's the little bird. There's a kiwi. Oh, man. Where do I get this book? I need to read it now. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'd
0: read it. Heck. All those adjectives can't be bad. All right, mm-hmm. I promise. That's the last thing I have to say about
1: issue eight. We can talk right. about
0: Tales number seven now.
1: <laughs> so I don't know if you noticed, but like the clocks on number eight, Renette are like like analog, like clocks with hands. Yeah. And now the clocks in her outfit are digital clocks on, on number seven. <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah, she's got a different helmet too that
0: has like a digital clock on it instead of the big uh, yeah. alarm clocks on the side. Yeah kind of cool
1: i just thought it was funny i don't know it made me me laugh it was kind of and i think she says that maybe she's not an apprentice anymore she's moved up at that point for, to the next she's level ready
0: she's getting ready for her
1: final uh her final test
0: to move up to the next rank isn't that what she's doing
1: yeah that's i think what it was is that she's going on her final test so anyway i just think it's funny that apparently as she's you know getting better her clothes are also like upgrading <laughs> to better clocks i guess i don't know right
0: it's a ridiculous costume she wears because it's literally just like it's a leotard with a bunch of clocks pinned to it.
1: Yeah, so, I'll, I'll get into it in
0: anchovies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. Now does Something. yours, you're reading the Ultimate Collections, right? Do those come with the, the frontispieces that
1: are like, let me tell you a story? Um, for Tales? So yeah. Tales are in the Ultimate Collection. Oh, okay. those are in separate books. So the, and the one I have, it's all in color. I don't think you can get them in black and white like they came originally. Which, oh, gotcha. You fine. know, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Gotcha. Uh, the tails it's, ones aren't colored too badly. Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, I just wanted to say
0: the the piece for this one is, I, it's one of the turtles riding a a dinosaur. And it's by Steve Bissett, who also worked on this issue. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that one's there. Yeah. This issue was also it was super duper late. Like, I think the last issue was August of 88, and this came out April of 89. So, like, a good seven months later. Apparently, Ryan Brown said it just kind of, like, fell under a stack of other merchandising stuff he was working on, and he just kind of never got around to it. So, it's kind of an, an icing on the cake of, of the Tales volume. Just a little extra issue we got.
1: Yeah, it's funny, because which what year did this issue come out in? 89, I believe. 89? Yeah, so yeah they would 39? have been Yeah, so that's probably like you know, Turtle Mania taking off right there. The movie hadn't come out yet, but it was in progress. Right. And I just know that from listening to to the videos of Kevin Eastman and Paul Jenkins talking with one another, that apparently it was it was like a super crazy time. Like everyone at Mirage Studios, even probably more than making comic books, they were just Okaying everything that went through because they tried to quality check uh, everything that came through to license through them and make sure that it was good enough. Yeah, uh, man, you think of all the merchandise they
0: pumped out around this time—that would have had to been three or four people's full-time
1: job. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah they were just in there, just like okaying things. It's it's nuts. Um. Another funny thing is, I don't know, it's just the fact that they went back and saw dinosaurs. I just know that uh, Peter Laird loves dinosaurs. Yes. And you can tell because, like, Donatello even calls things by, like, their very proper names. Like, you're not just getting, like, a T-Rex and a Triceratops and a Brontosaurus and a Velociraptor. Like, I can't even remember the name of the dinosaur. But <laughs> it's something yeah. that I probably would, if I was writing it, I would just been like, Velociraptor and put it there yeah, but yeah he doesn't
0: say he doesn't say raptor even though they're clearly raptors and everyone knows what a raptor is he says like diapotamus or
1: something <laughs> yeah like it is it is the proper name and you just know that peter yeah. laird just knew that and probably wanted to just put that dinosaur in there. <laughs> i don't know Well, i, mean, and I jim don't lawson know that but i imagine he did no i a hundred percent
0: i believe that because i think this was written by peter laird and then mm-hmm. jim lawson loves drawing dinosaurs he has a whole comic called paleo it's all just about
1: dinosaurs so yeah that's the other thing i found interesting is like jim lawson's style you can kind of see it coming through like mostly in renette and in her face like that's very much like mm-hmm. how he ends up drawing faces as you move on later in the books but the turtles don't quite look like his signature style as like we know it now you know as it ends up looking like in volume four and volume two uh, of the turtles but you can kind of see it as it's beginning to like evolve and kind of become his own thing and, and not so yeah. much a copy of uh, what it was after because like the style evolved, but what Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman are drawing them like at that time. Yeah. Yeah, like you can definitely tell like if you if
0: you follow one artist through Ninja Turtles, they all change a little bit. Like even Kevin Eastman's stuff now mm-hmm. looks different enough from what he was doing originally. But like Jim Lawson he just veers straight off. I like, he looks way different now than he did uh, back when he was doing tales. I don't know if he was trying to ape the style of Eastman and Laird or if his drawing was just that different back then. I, I don't know, but it's, it's night and day. when you look at
1: this issue versus volume four. Yeah. It's, it's very, very different, but like I said, you can kind of see it coming through like Renette's face looks very much kind of like his style ends up looking later. Yeah. Uh, as it goes on through. So it's kind of it's kind of cool seeing that stuff pop out uh, as you're reading through it. I enjoyed that. Um,
0: there is a weird pinup in the back of this book that's uh, Turtles in Hawaii by Kevin Lewis. I don't know who Kevin Lewis is, but he draws a good uh, turtle in a in a hula skirt. <laughs> <What is that? laughs> Man, I wish
1: I wish we got these pinups. Maybe it'll be in number seven. Uh, Maybe the yeah. Collection. Like I, I don't know those. if they'll
0: ever reprint them because I. A lot of those people's names I've never seen anywhere. I don't know if they still own the pinup or if Mirage owns it. That's you know? true.
1: Because all the creators write stuff. It could be a yeah. whole a whole mess.
0: But I mean, it's not that expensive. If, if the uh, price tags on the bags I have for these comics are to be believed, I paid no more than like $17 for both of them. So, hit up a Comic-Con. Don't go on eBay. People charge too much on eBay. Just go out and find them
1: in the wild. <laughs> and if
0: you're lucky, you get a good price.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't been able to find any at my local comic book shop when it comes to these old books. I might check out a few others in the area, but I haven't been able to find anything.
0: Yeah, just expand what lo- local means. Your neck gets a lot bigger.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I know. There, there's another one that's like kind of close called Black Cat Comics around here that I, I might go to. It's probably like the next closest one. And that one I hear has a good selection of like old back issues and things. Because the one I like going to is just because it's really close by. Also sells like a whole bunch of board games and lots of nerd memor I don't know. the was not memorabilia. Just just nerd stuff. It's called the Nerd Store. Uh, And it's a great store. Yeah. It's a great store, but it's definitely not as, apparently, it's not as uh, geared towards comics as Black Cat is. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, if we're all done with that, let's get talking about Renee's outfit in anchovies. <laughs> Back on that subject. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I let you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. What didn't you like about uh, issue eight, Spencer?
1: I just I, I'm,
0: I'm on the edge of my seat. Let
1: me know. I, I just don't like the design of Renette's costume. I, I never have. Mm -hmm. Uh, it just looks really kind of weird and dorky, and so I guess it's kind of fun for that reason. But I just don't, I just don't love it, you know. I struggle with it sometimes. It's very weird because it's like it's
0: a giant helmet. The thing is huge. It's a cape, then a skin tight bodysuit with with a giant belt. Like it, it looks ridiculous. Nothing about it matches or goes together whatsoever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, There's an outfit that they give her in the IDW series that's kind of like a full bodysuit and it's kind of got like almost like a bluish T-shape and stuff. I think that's been my favorite one I've seen so far is that outfit. It actually looks pretty cool and stylized and and comic book superhero-esque and so I'm kind of a fan of it. Yeah, it it looks functional
0: at least like this thing with Mm -hmm. a bunch of clocks hanging off of it. Yeah. Doesn't look functional whatsoever. Yeah, like,
1: I think that's probably the weirdest part for me is like I guess all the clocks hanging off of it it just it's bizarre
0: how would you know that she was a time traveler if she wasn't covered in clocks
1: <laughs> fair enough I mean apparently whatever society she lives in is obsessed with time or maybe it's just the it's the work uniform because her parents made her get this job as an apprentice timestress to teach her responsibility yeah so, <laughs> I guess it's maybe the time uniforms?
0: But then Lord know. Simultaneous is wearing like a... He's dressed like a, one of the Guardians from Green Lantern. Like, he's just got a big robe on and a Galactus helmet.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, the outfit's bizarre. Uh, it's not one of my favorites. I, I kind of like what they did later on in IDW. Yeah. Um, there's also... A lot of like coincidences, I guess, in the story of like the turtles, Renette landing on the turtles, and the turtles landing on Cer- you know, and then them going just to- landing on Cerebus. Is that, uh, you know, and then for some reason it's in Savanti Romero's time, because like in the in the cartoon version of this, he's like calling to the staff with his magic, like trying to get it to come. Yeah. So it makes sense that they get drawn to that time when Renette is kind of irresponsibly just being like, take me anywhere but here. And so then Savanti is able to take advantage of that uh, type of command to be able to, with his magic, like draw it to his time. This was just kind of a coincidence that they end up there. You know, it's like, it just happens to be in the same time as Cerebus. Right. So it was a little, you know, I will will kind of complain about that I guess a little bit. It does feel kind of nitpicky. There's plenty of coincidences in Ninja Turtles. That's just the way it is.
0: (laughs) right yeah yeah nothing gets the plot moving faster than your main character is falling on other characters we're supposed
1: to be working with right yeah (laughs) yeah and i guess that that kind of would be another complaint is like it does feel like the very beginning is like at this break breakneck speed so you can Mm -hmm. like pacing so you can get like all the characters to meet up with one another that are supposed to be meeting each other and then it kind of after that you know calms down and gives you the rest of the story but It really felt like those first pages of trying to get everyone in the same place were just like, went at a breakneck speed. Yeah, well, and what gets me is like
0: sometimes the staff talks, sometimes the the scepter talks to Renette and says, I need a date and a time and a place. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Renette can just say, take us before human recorded history, which I think they go back to like the 1400s, which is well after we started recording human history. Yeah, and, and then the staff stops talking altogether, and s- there's some crazy alert system that Savanti Romero has to alert him that the staff is there. We never quite find out what it
1: is. It's just like a giant talking thought bubble. It's really yeah.
0: strange. But
1: yeah, like that that bit was also kind of weird. The only explanations I can kind of come up with for that is maybe the staff is you know has a very limited AI because it's old technology, and so you know like Siri or. Or any of the other uh, <laughs> AIs that you have right. on your phone. It can hey, only like, answer certain questions. <laughs> I wonder Beyond that it's like, uh, I don't know how to help you there. Sorry. Yeah.
0: I wonder like if we said, hey, Google, and hey, Siri, and hey, Alexa, if someone at their house right now, like all their devices are going off, you know, if they're listening to this podcast. If they did, you're welcome, dear listener. <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know what you googled but you're welcome <laughs> i don't dare say the amazon echoes ai name because i do have one close yeah. by in the room and she will go off and interrupt this podcast
0: good to know good to know yeah uh, for me one thing that really takes me out of this issue is like i i do like savanti romero i think he's really cool but like he does these uh incantations towards the end that are all like just ridiculous. He talks about like mustard seed and celery beans and whatnot. And it just totally yeah. takes me out of it. And yeah. <laughs> it's it like, pretty wacky. Nothing. Yeah, just say nothing and shoot a beam out of your hand. That's all I need. You did it earlier. Why do you have to say all these words now? It's it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, for me, it makes me think of Etrigan, which actually is another Jack Kirby creation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know how he always speaks in rhymes. Mm-hmm. And for me, it kind of like reminded me a bit of that. Except for, you know, it's even wackier than anything Etrigan says. Etrigan actually sounds super poetic. And this just kind of sounded like a, a, a children's poem. Yeah. It, I'm trying to think of that famous children's poet that I should know off the top of my head. Uh, Shell Silverstein. G? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something Shell Silverstein would write. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the first
0: uh, the first poem you wrote in your high school English class when you were studying English. Like It, it
1: reads like that. Yeah, sorry, I, I won't do Shell Silverstein dirty like that. It, it's like an yeah. English class poem. Because <laughs> he actually writes some genuinely clever, funny stuff. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to say it was wacky. It was whack, as right. the kids say. That's that's something the kids still stay or still say, right? All right, man, I'm older than you. I ain't got a, <laughs> I ain't got a damn clue. <sighs> uh, yeah, I had that as my other complaint was the land before recorded time thing, though. And the reason why that's that's a thing is because it says in the commentary why that uh, error was there. And it's oh. because Kevin Eastman didn't think that like Cerebus really had a timeline or was like really anywhere. And so he thought it would work. But then apparently Dave Sim actually did have a very specific time the Cerebus was supposed to exist. In. And so he then corrected it in like an editor's note in that same panel. Okay. And... Yeah. I guess it wasn't worth fixing. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess not.
0: Uh, yeah, because it. I looked up because it, it has the editor's note and it says the editor is Tarim. And I was like, who the hell is Tarim? Tarim is, uh, there's a point in Cerebus where Cerebus becomes the Pope and Tarim is the god of the religion that he's the Pope of, apparently. So that was apparently
1: the editor of this book also. <laughs> So the book was probably in in the middle of the church and state book. Then is probably where this was at the time before the uh, misogyny essays. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But not before the misogyny. (laughs) It was before that. All right.
0: Yeah. And then we, we kind of, we hit on this already. What, what is happening with Cerebus in this, in this issue? Who is this wizard? Why is he looking for these scrolls? He gets turned into a blob several times and, It was really confusing the first time I read it. It's still kind of confusing to me now, but I can at least piece it together. But I really think like four sentences maximum could have explained what was going on with Cerebus and made this read
1: a little easier. Yeah, I feel like you can kind of infer it by reading, but it definitely isn't the clearest thing. No, no, not at all. So in uh, number seven, my only real complaint for it is that it's kind of like a very tropey and ex machina story for them to like find the time scepter in the sh- in the fish like i feel like that's like one of the oldest like ex machina tropes in the book <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't feel like super creative but it was still fun
0: yeah it's it's weird that they use that because like we know the turtles can swim right like why couldn't they have found the scepter or it could have washed up to shore, you know, it might have to be shore. through the fish. They could have, you know, they could have made a net and like found it that way. Or something. And on top of that, we know that they were back in time for three months. And like we never really get any stories of what they were really doing back there. There's a couple of short stories of them just kind of goofing off and carving uh Fred loves Wilma into rocks and stuff. Yeah. Like. They never really they never really take advantage of this kind of cool plot of turtles living with dinosaurs. Maybe we'll get it one day. Maybe. Here's hoping, man.
1: My big thing,
0: my big complaint about this issue, I I really like this issue, but like Savanti Romero's plan is to like light part of the earth on fire, which will slow it down so that we don't get hit by a meteor because he wants to do that because why? Exactly. (laughs) Like it seems like a very convoluted plan. Because he's evil, I know,
1: and <laughs> he I guess wants it trouble, you know?
0: I guess it kind of goes back to like he's just really incompetent, maybe <laughs> and and I kind of find that endearing about him, but he's just like so woefully incompetent, but it's very confusing when I was reading this issue. It's like, why is he doing this? like there are easier ways to kill the turtles than
1: to extinct the entire human race, yeah, I mean, Lord simultaneous does make fun of him pretty heavily and make him out as an incompetent idiot, so. Yeah, I guess that is just part of the character is that while he is maybe insidious, he's also really stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's all I really had as far as complaints there. Same. So let's get into I Love Being a Turtle. Oh, I love being a turtle. So I love the concept of Renette. Like, I just I just really like her as a character. Sometimes she can get a little annoying. That's part of I think what makes her endearing and what makes the character so great is because like reading reading the the commentary in in the back of this issue uh, in in the ultimate collection, they do mention that she's kind of supposed to be like the sorcerer's apprentice type trope of like kind of having a, a bumbling person. But just the fact that like this, timestress you know this time wizard is pretty much a ditzy teenage girl yeah she's a total valley girl yeah yeah yeah, as a valley girl is hilarious to me and is really funny and is a really creative take on a time traveling character because usually time traveling characters are very wise and and like helpful and benevolent you know now like when i think about them i think of like uh I mean, definitely not Booster Gold. He kind of fits in the Dit's trope, but uh, (laughs) there's... The the
0: trope is like, you know, yourself in the future comes back to warn you about something, whereas this is just Renette is like, oh, crap, I don't want to dust, and I got in trouble, and so now we're just going to go on a crazy adventure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like working right now, you know, so instead of going in the bathroom and texting on my phone... I'm gonna steal this time scepter and I'm gonna jump back to the 80s because it would be like totally cool to visit. Right? Them. Yeah. <laughs> it's how a Timestress, uh, I guess, spends her free time. Right? How she? I definitely, I definitely like
0: this uh, kind of protagonist antagonist duo way better than uh, uh, was it radical and complete carnage. I think these two work way better than than those two do. because um, like you said, Renette's a pretty unique character, uh Valley Girl time wizard, and then Savannah Romero. I love that design. I love I love how evil and and completely incompetent he is with how evil he is. Like with these over elaborate plans uh he he doesn't know how to use a time scepter right and all this stuff it's it's fantastic i love kind of like
1: almost like a dr doof and before a dr doof yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i i like cerebus's one-liners uh in here there's a lot of good ones things like uh you know this time without any woohoos or or things like that you know just these cutting remarks <laughs> to the to the turtles yeah. that kind of mock uh some of the things they do in well yeah. I, and I think it's specifically like the fact that Raff
0: beat the crap out of the messenger that was supposed to tell him when it was time to go. Yeah. He's just like he's way too into it. He's just ready to beat up whatever comes his way. So he beats up the messenger immediately and then service is like maybe keep him on a short leash, you know. Yeah. He says it's a good thing I
1: don't believe in omens or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's really good.
1: Uh, And then he has another one where he says like wizard types are always hiding out in strange form like strangely formed structures. Yeah, they they prefer oddly shaped rooms or something like that. Yeah, they prefer oddly shaped structures. I couldn't find the quote after I finished reading it to to write it down in here. Yeah, but it was it's a hilarious thing to point out as a trope because it's it's really true. Like whenever you have like an evil sorcerer, he's in some janky tower (laughs) up there uh, weaving spells and stuff.
0: Right. Also, um, I also, I really like this crossover with, with Cerebus. So, like, later guest guest issues of TMNT, a lot of times it feels like the creator is bringing in their own character and the Ninja Turtles are kind of just superfluous to the plot. Like, they're there, but the focus of, the, of this Ninja Turtles comic is the guest character, right? Whereas this really mm-hmm. feels like the Turtles are front and center. It is a crossover with Cerebus, but Cerebus is not, like the focus of the book. It's still very much about the Ninja Turtles and then getting back home, but he he plays a very important supporting role. I think it works well as a crossover like that. There's also not a lot of, like... A lot of crossovers, it's like the two meet and they fight for four pages and then they figure out how to work together. There's, like, two panels where Leo and Cerebus get into it, but then they immediately get over it and advance the plot from there, which is refreshing.
1: Yeah. No, and there's even, like, stuff where... It's like one of the problems I have with like the Ghostbusters Ninja the Turtle crossover. Sometimes it just feels like they're just feeding you like so much exposition and like like who are you? Who are you? Who are you? type stuff. Uh in in many crossovers it's an issue, you know, of so much yeah. ma- so much of the characters being like, who are you? Right. And in this one right. it kind of just bulldozes right through that and just gets into the story. Partially because I think they were running out of pages and they just wanted to get to the actual story they were trying to tell. Which is ridiculous because this story is like 48 pages or something. It's huge, but yeah, it it really
0: helps that they both have a a common goal of getting in and getting this wizard and being
1: scrolls and a staff and getting the hell out. Yeah, well, Cerebus doesn't necessarily seem like the most uh, lawful good character. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. He's, uh, what is it? Chaotic good. He's only
1: out for himself. I mean, I think it would be like neutral, just like a chaotic neutral. He just kind of does whatever he needs for himself. Sounds right. Another character I really like is Lord Simultaneous. You know, just this, uh, I don't know, he looks all powerful and stuff. And then he ends up, you know, appearing and he's like this short dude. And he has like, in the 2003 series, he definitely has like that Brooklyn accent, like that. I don't know how else to say, I guess just East Coast accent. I'm not going to get specific on which part of the East Coast it's from because I'm an ignorant, uh, you know, Western half of the United States person that doesn't come in contact with that enough to actually be able to pin it. Right. But he's just got that voice and it's it's really funny to me as he's uh, there and just making fun of Savanti Romero, calling him an idiot pretty much. Yeah. Pretty great. Yeah. So in number seven, I like just seeing the turtles fight dinosaurs. Oh, I know. Yeah. Like having, I think think it was Michelangelo choke out a dinosaur. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So much fun. (laughs) These these are two just really fun issues.
0: Like you can just sit and read them. And like I said, the first one's like 48 pages. Uh, Tales issue seven is like 40 pages, but you can read it in like four minutes because it's all just like, Fighting action and giant sculptures made of bones and lightning bolts and
1: stuff. It's like it's like everything I ever wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's just big, huge time travel stakes that are super epic. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. You, know, you got and you know, but at the same time, the turtles can handle it because Savanti Romero was an idiot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I also like in this issue that like it
0: starts with uh, April kind of taking two of the turtles to the museum. Uh-huh. And then when stuff gets crazy, April's like, no, I, I want to stay home. Because I think I think sometimes she gets drug along on these things and there's no real reason for her to go. And this was a good one where she they took time to be like, why don't we just leave
1: April at home for this mm-hmm. crazy nonsense? Yeah, Renette's <laughs> about to take them and they're just like, hold up, hold April. Up. <laughs> yeah. Is this consensual? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's yeah. like, no time travel adventures for me i'm right. going home <laughs> yeah
0: yeah she has some say in what happens to her in this issue <laughs> yeah i gotta say it, man jim lawson draws the hell out of some dinosaurs like like you were saying it's just
1: this is a good issue just to look at it mm-hmm. looks amazing yeah it's fantastic i like looking at the dinosaurs and seeing all of them and you can tell that there was a lot of care that went into which dinosaurs were there because peter laird loves dinosaurs Oh, yeah. I highly doubt that he was going to put a dinosaur that did not belong in the that was outside of the Cretaceous period in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> he had it down right. I like yeah, TMNT's bone armor.
0: Yeah, I the bone armor and the the him making that thing out of bones. I man, this is this is maybe my favorite issue of of Tales of the TMNT Volume One. It's just it definitely has some narrative issues. It it blows by the. Uh, breakneck pace but man it's fun and man it's cool to look at jim lawson ryan brown kind of at the top of their game it's it's a series that we thought was maybe canceled and here's a issue seven months later icing on the cake checks a lot of
1: boxes for me yeah it's really enjoyable i also like when mikey just pop like points out all of the plot holes in time travel he just starts, like, talking about, like, well, you know, if we exist currently, then he hasn't stopped our existence in the past. So, like, we're still fine. Like, do we even need to do anything technically if we're still here and still alive and still exist? We've already won, right?
0: <laughs> I, I like that it's Michelangelo, too, and not Donatello. Because yeah. I think Michelangelo has that knowledge from, like, reading too many comic books and watching too many movies. And yeah. But if Donatello had done it, he'd get into all the, like, all oh, the timeline theories and crap, and we just drug out. But with Michelangelo, it's like time paradoxes are weird narratively.
1: So what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I I thought I found it really funny. Well, that's it for I love being a turtle. Should we talk some Channel Six news? Yeah.
0: This is April O'Neill of Channel Six.
1: This week we have a new pop that's being released. I think it's still up for pre-order. Uh, it's going to be released in March of Crank. It's going to be like yes. a whole six-inch Crank. Usually, I'm not a fan of, like, 1987 designs of things, but I really like the way this Crank pop looks.
0: Yeah. So, it's actually, it's based off the toy version of his robot body, not necessarily the cartoon version. Like, there's the blue around the hole where Crank goes. There's some, some metal accents in the arms and legs. He looks a little more aggressive, but I, I already put in my pre-order. Um,
1: don't tell my wife, but <laughs> I am getting it. <laughs> I sat there debating it for like a while and I had to, you know, I, and my wife, like even like pulled up this like questionnaire on her phone of like, if you should buy things. Cause I was sitting like teetering on the edge. I'm like, do I really want this? And I, I ultimately decided, yeah, cause it was an exclusive. It wasn't going to be around forever. I couldn't, I couldn't sit on the, the fence for this one. Right. Yeah. So I went in and got the pop because I also am a pop collector. I collect oh, pops. Yeah. So it was one of those things where I was like, all right, I'm going to pull the trigger. Speaking of which, I still, <laughs> I just bought this Krang one, but I still haven't bought the movie turtle ones because I actually like those ones. Those I didn't are really cool. Yeah. I didn't really like the ones that were designed from the 87 series. I like the Casey Jones from then. I got that one, but I didn't okay. really like the, the 87 series type designs that the pops had. So I never got those, but I really like the way the movie ones look, and so yeah. I will be, hopefully, getting those. I have the ikis of the turtles. Except Raphael. they like look like tiki's. Okay. Yeah. 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 They're they're yeah they're really tiki looking, and I I liked I like how they look a lot, especially the shredder one. Cool. Uh, so I got, I have all of them except for like Splinter and Raphael. I don't know if I'll ever get the Splinter one because I don't know if I love that how it looks that much, but. I will hopefully eventually get Raphael.
0: I try to keep a very small Funko Pop collection. I, I try to get things that I can't get other toys of. So like I've never seen a, a Proto Man from Mega Man. So I have a Proto Man or like uh, Homer Simpson as King Kong. You know, I, I try to get stuff I, I don't have already. At... My thing with the Turtle Pops is like, I have to have all four of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to drop that much money on four things. That are also going to sit on my shelf forever, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I they're really that. cool to
0: look at though. They look really cool.
1: Yeah, and I, I have a, a kind of a problem with pops. My problem that ends up happening with pops is whenever I go to my my local convention, my local nerd convention, there's always like a pop booth that has them at a good price, and I can't help it. I, I end up <laughs> buying. You know, it'll be like three for this much money, and I'll be like, "Well, I can't say no to that." Right. (laughs) If I have five, I might as well get six. Well, six, you might as well get twelve. Yeah, I know how it works. Yeah. (laughs) And and there's really cool ones, you know. I like. I really like Dragon Ball. So there'll be Dragon Ball ones and stuff like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there'll be like Master Roshi doing the Kamehameha, and so he's like huge and ripped. And I, you know, I have to get it. There's, there's no saying no to that. Don't blame you. Yeah. (laughs) So in other news, the third printing of the Last Ronin number one is coming out next week well at the time this is released it'll be tomorrow when you're listening to this so the 3rd of february to make that clear uh it'll be out in your local comic book stores so if you still haven't read it now is the time yeah so third printing of issue
0: one third of february Issue 2 is coming out the 17th of February. I yeah,
1: I mean, that's what everything is still saying. And I know they've sent it off to the printers at this point. So I'd say it's a very safe bet to say it'll be out on the 17th. Awesome. And again,
0: uh, we've said it before. Easiest way to guarantee you get an issue. Go to your local comic book shop. Set up a pull file. Tell them you want Ninja Turtles. Tell me you want yeah. the last run-in. we will get it for you.
1: If you're looking for a physical copy, which I'm not passing up on physical copies for this one, uh, definitely do that. Yeah, and then also something else cool. Ben Bishop actually has the Last Ronin T-shirts uh, on his website, and he just released uh, a new set of them this week.
0: Really?
1: So, yeah. That uh, mm-hmm. you have to—they're like kind of made to order, I believe. So you do have to pre-order them. But I—I I didn't pre-order the ones from this week, but the last ones he did before this, I—I I did, and I still haven't gotten it because it seems like it's taken a little bit of time, but. They are good, cool-looking shirts.
0: Is it uh, like the cover of, of the new or the last Ronin, or is it like a,
1: a new art that he's done specifically for the? I believe it's one of the covers for issue two. Here, I've got it. I posted it to our our page to our so, Facebook. Yeah, to our Facebook page. And uh, what is
0: our Facebook, so everyone listening at home can go look at this real quick?
1: Ninja Turtle Power Hour. Right. But it looks like if you can see that that's the one that just came out this week so it's sick yeah it's the ronin kneeling in front of all the weapons with the headbands laid out in front of it nice uh sitting there without his without most of his ronin gear on it looks like the scene just before he's about to uh well we won't spoil anything in case you haven't read issue one right (laughs) And then the other one that he released a while back that I believe you can actually order again because there's a second round of ordering for it, is just kind of one of the last Ronan with the sun behind him. I believe it's on one of the covers that he did, uh, oh, and that yeah, also was shared to our page. Cool. That's the one I ordered. Awesome. So yeah, he's got some cool stuff, and it's like the only Last Ronan merch I know of. So if you Really love these books and are really excited about them, like I am. I guess it's just one book still at this time, but if you're still as excited about it as I am, isn't that ridiculous?
0: Because didn't it come out in like October and it was supposed to come out in like August before that? Oh, yeah.
1: After all this time, man. Yeah. But it's worth the wait. Yes, it's worth the wait. And it's just because there's like issues with the artist. And I think there's also like the pandemic on top of it. And true. I think that's just kind of what's caused all these delays. But we're getting it. Yeah, so, I'm looking forward to like, I hope we get like
0: an action figure and you know, there's that uh, change is constant board game. I hope he they mm-hmm. make an expansion. That's him. And, you know, Adam is a downloadable skin to the next uh, Ninja Turtles video game or something like this is going to start a, a whole new wave of.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, cool it, Stuff coming out for Turtles. I mean, it already has almost like, I mean, nothing's come out from this, but as far as comic book goes, it's sold better than almost than so many IDW books ever have. Oh, yeah. like it's, including turtles, <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's selling so incredibly well. So many people seem to be invested in it. I really hope that issue two still kind of picks up and keeps the hype, and uh, that we end up with you know more of the stuff based around this, and we can finally hopefully kind of break out of Ninja Turtles just being for kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> as much as it is a kid's property and as an enjoyable as for kids and it's fun as an all ages property, I enjoy all that content. It's, it's fun to have something that's a little bit there that's more for me, you know? more for us jaded old men. Jaded old men. Yeah, you know, it's nice just to get, it's just one thing. All right. It's just one thing. All yeah, I want yeah. is a, like you can have everything else. Just Just give me this one tiny slice of the pie. Right, that's all I'm asking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I really had for news this week. I couldn't find anything else new. What did you see? Anything? Uh, the only thing I saw was that pop, and we already talked about it. So, all right, well, then that'll be it for this week. Next week, we'll be covering episodes seven, eight, and nine of season two of the 1987 series. Please what? like and follow us on our social medias twitter facebook instagram Uh, we love sharing funny memes news and our new episode release releases on those days Uh, so if you want to stay up to date on turtles it's a good place to go please leave us a review on itunes we only have one review but it's a five-star one so obviously this podcast is amazing and you should probably give it that rating too we're batting a thousand, man. We're betting a thousand.
0: Man, I'm looking uh, I'm just looking real quick at uh season two's episodes seven, to eight, and nine. This looks like an amazing run. We got Enter the Fly, Invasion of the Punk Punk Frogs, and Splinter No More. I know at least two of those are good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting into some good stuff there. Napoleon Bonafrog and all those folks. Oh yeah. So Be there, be square. (laughs) That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, Kawabunga dudes. Kawabunga. Man, I wish Mike were here to say something funny.